Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Goblitz, and welcome back to the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost for the week of November 13th, 2022, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig in this week's podcast, and I'm excited because this is the last week of the alternative first reading. We have next week, Christ the King, and then we'll be quickly going into a new church year, which is always exciting. It's a fun. We've had a great time in Luke. He continues to challenge us right here at the end, but I think it's also a good time to kind of have some reflection and move forward listening to something a little bit different, hearing something from a slightly different perspective written to a slightly different people. And so I think it's an important contrast to be thinking about and going through. So it's an exciting time of year. We're in this time where, again, this becomes soon kind of a gathering time of the year as we are coming into at least here in the United States Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's is usually a time that we're gathering people together and especially now that we have been going through what we've gone through the last couple years and how things might be different and the ideas of how we're doing things compared to how things have been done in the past might be changing and so that's something that we need to be thinking about considering and I think sometimes it's difficult, but I think as we look at this week's text in particular, I think that's something that can be addressed and kind of worked on and thought about in a deeper way. So let's look at last week's question, which the question for last week was, what legacy are you leaving behind? And I think one of the responses that we got back this week that I thought was really intriguing to think about is we don't always know what the legacy is. We don't always understand or don't always see necessarily what the legacy of what we have done and what we have built is left behind. And I think that's an important thing to be thinking about, and especially with where we'll be going a little bit this week with some of the science tie-in. I think there is points where we don't necessarily understand the impact of what we are doing or don't always see the light at the end of the tunnel when we are laying the early foundation. It's the idea of how the process of what we're doing, we might not see the end destination. And sometimes that's really difficult for us to see and comprehend. One of the things that comes to mind for me is like Crazy Horse in South Dakota. I, in my lifetime, probably will not see the whole completion of Crazy Horse. They have it sketched out there what it's going to look like, but it's very different seeing the actual thing versus what it's sketched out to look like. So this idea and contrast of us playing within those ideas and themes, I think is something that's very valuable and very intriguing to be thinking about. So let's dig into this last week of the alternative first reading, which is Isaiah chapter 65, verses 17 to 25. This is this understanding that God is creating things new and that there's going to be something different, this creating a new earth, a new heaven, something that's different than Jerusalem, and how God in doing that is going to be creating something that's everlasting, something that's much deeper and long-lasting than what we've seen before, and that this is something that God isn't necessarily planting a seed for someone else to harvest, but planting the seed for the people to continue to harvest. And you kind of get that idea coming from verse 22. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. Like For like the days of the tree, the days of my people shall be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. So this idea of how what God is creating is something that the people will see benefit of this building upon idea. 
the quote psalm that goes with that first reading is Isaiah chapter 12, all six verses of it. And again, it's this recognition in that, that there are times where God gets angry with us. There are times when we are frustrated, but yet we are also understanding that there is a great love that is between both of us. And from our perspective, realizing how much God does appreciate and love us by continuing to provide for us and making sure that there is the possibility of us having joy because of how God has provided for us. And thus we sing praise. We give thanks to God in the recognition of what God has done for us. The other Old Testament text for this week is Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 to 2a. Since it's such a short text, I might as well read it for you. See, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. The day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. So this idea of how God is going to be taking care of the things that God isn't as pleased with, the things that have not gone to plan and burning that all up, but also that there's this righteousness of the people of God being risen up. And we'll get into digging into that a little bit more later. The psalm this week is Psalm 98, all nine verses of it. And we get a great foretaste of this coming from verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gotten him victory. This idea of then recognizing all the amazing things that God has done and then let us praise him with lyre, let us praise him with a joyful noise, with trumpets, with horns, with recognizing the sea roaring, the clapping of the hands from the floods, this idea of how the earth is singing praise to God. The second reading or the epistle text this week is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 6 to 13. This is an interesting text because we need a little bit of context. Paul then writing to the people of Thessalonica and has heard word that there are starting to be people who are banking on the returning of the Lord and so thus have given up doing work. And this is where Paul is calling out this idea of why are you idly standing by? This is not how you were called to be. You weren't called to be idle or a mere busybody or not doing any work, but you are called into living. And in part of that living is having the faith walking that out, but also doing that work and having it come out in your day-to-day life. So it's this idea of how God is working within us to be able so that we may be able to provide and being able to then recognize the blessings of what God has done for us in us being able to work. The gospel text this week then is out of Luke chapter 21 verses 5 to 19. This one, one of the things that I'll recommend is taking a look at some of the art, which we'll get into with our shameless plug later. But there's a picture of Jesus kind of holding his head in his hands and as it's kind of looking out over the city of Jerusalem. And I think this kind of epitomizes this text so well. 
And Jesus is talking about how the disciples are caught up with how beautiful the temple is. And Jesus starts talking about there will be a time when all this is just destroyed and people are coming in and saying the end is near, you know, and how easy it will be for people to be led astray from where God is. And there will be times where then in that you will be persecuted for your faith. There will be things that put your life into question. And will you continue to then advocate for what I have been teaching you and realizing what God has been doing? And you kind of get this a little bit at the end where we get this promise of one, God recognizing us and being with us and stating not a hair of your head will perish, which I more look at it as from the eternal perspective, but especially coming from verse 19, by your endurance, you will gain your souls. This idea of what you're doing is something more long lasting. It's something more what God is looking at for the long term, even though in the short term, things don't look pretty. So before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do a shameless plug. Oh, Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their sermon brainwaves, podcasts, or commentaries or discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help give me some perspective on how to look at these texts, give me some different ideas on ways to look at these texts, along with being able to look through different commentaries, different ideas, and just different discussions going on over there. So if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend that. I'd also highly recommend checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. I've already brought this up because of the art section that is there, but there's also prayers, hymns, looking at the liturgical colors for the day. But also, I really like how they lay out all the text. It's another great resource to be able to look at. So if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library, I'd highly recommend that also. I think in this, we have to do a little bit of history recognition of what is going on here when Luke is writing this text, because this isn't right that long before the throwing of the temple happens. And in fact, there might even be where Luke is writing this during the overthrow of the temple. And so these words to the original hearers would be very impactful coming from the gospel text recognizing that the temple is being threatened by people, but this idea of when Jesus was speaking this was so far from where the people would be not even a hundred years later. So this idea of time and understanding how things can look one way and be totally different not that long after where Jesus is then stating that not a stone will be left upon another coming from verse 6 is a hard contrasting thing. And again, it kind of ties a little bit into where we have in the second Thessalonians where Jesus had said, yes, I will be recoming and stating some things that made it appear as if it was going to be relatively short in human time. And yet then here, Paul is calling it out and saying, Jesus also stated, I do not know the time when the father will have me return. So this idea of continue living out the faith, don't just sit idly by waiting for it to happen. And I think it's a text that it's hard because it can call us into action, but it's also a text that's hard because it's calling us into reflection. It calls us into, especially where Jesus is talking here about how there will be imitators who are trying to lead you astray. One of the things that I picked up at Tech Study this last week was thinking about it from the perspective of the fruits of the Spirit and what are the fruits of what is going on. And I think 
Jesus kind of warning that and kind of thing you got to recognize and look at and think about what has all been going on. What have I been teaching? How do you recognize the differences of where I have been versus where imitators have been, if you want to put it that way? And I think that's part of where we've kind of been dropped into the last few weeks is these reflection texts. And as I kind of talked about at the beginning, talking about legacy, where we don't always see the impact of what has happened, I think we need to do a little history lesson of ourselves, but more of a recent history and talking about the impact of what little things can happen. So one of the things that I've talked about before on this podcast is that I have participated in the Christmas bird count multiple times. It's been a couple years now based off just life circumstances, but it's something especially in high school and college, I would make time to clear time to do Christmas bird counts, and I've really enjoyed them. But the history behind Christmas bird counts is absolutely fascinating. And part of it was, at the time, around the turn of the last century, people enjoyed going out and hunting birds right around Christmas Day. And part of it was there wasn't necessarily hunting laws and such at that time, so it was basically who could kill the most birds possible. So a couple ornithologists over 25 different count areas in 1900 decided to have on Christmas Day more of a silent hunt, a secret hunt, where they were looking for birds to tally and do more of a census. And this then became kind of the foundation on every year this happening. And now it's the two weeks before and the two weeks after Christmas is the official count season. And you pick a day within there and the different Audubon chapters will have an official count day for counting birds and becoming a census. And we've talked about before how this has become an extremely useful tool in being able to evaluate how our bird population's doing. And it's used as a major processing to be able to look at trends over a long period of time, since now there's over 120 years of data, and has become the greatest civilian science project ever, just especially here in the West, that how many people are involved in working within this project is fascinating. But one of the other things that within that where it unfortunately benefited was the passenger pigeon. The passenger pigeon at one point is estimated to be probably the most abundant species on planet Earth. There have been estimates that there were potentially upwards to 3 billion passenger pigeons on the planet. And due to hunting, modification in land, and probably low genetic diversity, we lost the passenger pigeon in 1914. In doing that probably also helped propel the Christmas bird count, recognizing that this is something that we need to be looking at and tracking and being more observant of. And along with that, and I'll attach some links down below, there's been additional hunting laws and limiting using feathers in fashion and different things of that nature, which was also causing crazy expansion in hunting and not necessarily conservation, but this idea then of we need to be looking at and having more of a conservation focus with some of these things. When looking at these texts, especially even the Malachi text, 
we have to understand that there are things and traditions that we have that served a purpose and a time, and that that time isn't always forever. And I think that's, again, you know, the burning up in the oven like in the Malachi text, but we also see that in the gospel text on how there is the Jerusalem, the temple, which was huge. It was massive. Like the whole idea of it being torn down and not a stone being left upon each other is crazy to think about. But yet it happens 50 years later. And I find it interesting, especially pairing it with the other alternative Old Testament text, Isaiah 65, where it's talking about creating a this new Jerusalem, this new place that God is creating. And I think it's this reiteration on how whatever happens isn't forever. It's going to change. It's going to modify. And we have to be okay with that. The Christmas bird count was a silent protest against hunting. And yeah, let's do a census. And it's become this great civilian project that's now not just Christmas Day, but two weeks on either side of Christmas Day. And it's become a huge major thing and being able to track world populations and helping us to move into trying to do breeding bird surveys and all these different things to help us understand how bird movement happens and tracking populations and what is going on and watching centers of populations of birds move with the climate modifying itself. This was not all the initial intention of what that was to do. It was to have a census and maybe be able to track in a small local area some birds and maybe have a silent protest in a way of challenging what was being done at the time of hunting. They didn't know at that point necessarily that passenger pigeons passing away and becoming extinct was then going to drastically modify how all this stuff happened. They couldn't necessarily have purely foreseen that. They couldn't have foreseen the impact of what that was going to do for the long-term science ramifications of what that was. The death of the passenger pigeon is a whole other part of it, is with that passing away, there was all these different laws and protections to be able to start thinking about things in a conservation manner. In that passing away, what other bird species benefited because suddenly you didn't have this huge weight on society of the passenger pigeon because of how many there were. On top of that, there's been so much additional research on the passenger pigeon, even though it's passed away, on what was all going on, understanding that there was probably cycles, and on top of what humans were doing, there was potentially also some natural cycles of the population was going to be dipping. We just put the final nail in the coffin, along with looking at their genetic variety and how low it actually was, surprisingly, for how large a population it was. So many things that happened, sadly, because of the death of the passenger pigeon, but also informing us to be able to look critically on where we are going and what things we can learn from in the future. As we are in this, I would call it, reflection season of Luke, as we are nearing the end of the year of Luke, I think this is all things that are being brought up to the surface on where the church is at currently. The idea of what has been done pre-pandemic, as I kind of talked about a little bit last week, and where we are today 
is vastly different. Life has happened. Things have changed. And the idea that we need to be able to look at ourselves and realize there are traditions and things that we have done that are now becoming, we are doing it because the tradition says so, not because it is necessarily benefiting. And the question is to me is, is some of these, is it time to be tearing down the temple for something new to be able to come in? This idea at this point of the temple is also kind of interesting because we have to remember this is the second or third time that the temple is torn down depending on where you're wanting to, to line these things up. But the temple is torn down multiple times. And it's not necessarily rebuilt the same way. We talked about that last week. We have to realize in tearing something down, it allows for something new to come in. In the Christmas bird count not being stuck on it being a protest or stuck on it just being a census, it has allowed it to morph into something so much greater, so much more useful, and it will continue to evolve as long as we don't become so attached to this is the way that it's always been. We have to recognize and realize that ourselves within church, within faith, within life, that we have to be able to modify and adapt. The passenger pigeon leaving communities has allowed for other bird species to grow and the amount of information that we have learned about things to be looking at, considering, thinking about for a conservation perspective is huge. So yes, is it sad that we lost the passenger pigeon? Yes. I would have loved to see, and especially the stories that you hear about how they would blacken the sky for days during their migration with the number of birds that were going by. I think that would be interesting to honestly see once, but I'm never going to be able to. But it also allowed for me to be able to see things that my ancestors would have never been able to see themselves. If we want to look at a more recent story, we now see nationwide way more bald eagles than there were a couple generations before because of the advent of the recognition of what DDT was doing to the especially raptors, but in particular, we, we kind of focus in on the bald eagle and how few there were to now where you have whole sections of the country where their population is thriving and that they're no longer on the endangered species list. Is this a change from what has happened? Yes. In this case, returning back, but things have also changed in their environment and recognizing that there's things that are changing and modifying all the time. This is a text that is causing us to reflect on what Jesus has been teaching us. Realize to keep our eye and keep alert, keep awake, looking at where is Jesus steering us, where is God steering us to go. But in doing that, recognizing that it also might mean things that we as humans like to hold on to have to be let go of. There are things that then the benefit that was there is no longer there, so it needs to be set aside. It needs to be burned and let go of. We learn from what happened, but we move forward so that something new can come in its place. And it's in those moments that we are then able to rejoice, thanking God for what that has been, and also thanking God for the recognition that it was time to let it go. We, as humans, struggle with that. 
we struggle with the idea of letting go. We like things that we know. We like the idea of being able to hold on to it and know what the result is going to be. But that's not the case. That's not the way life works, no matter how frustrating that is. There has been lots of great ideas that haven't worked out. There's been a lot of great intentions that was a great intention just for whatever reason, things shook the wrong way. But also realizing that God is still working through that. God's still going to take in the good things, the things that we can learn from that, even though it's not in the way that we imagined it, it's going to be transformed into something else. And honestly, as I look at the church and where we are today, I solemnly believe that's where we're at, is that we have to solidly look ourselves and stare ourselves in the mirror, no matter what your denomination, and really ask, what are we holding on to that we say is there because of tradition, but the meaning has been lost? Where are the things that God is trying to breathe new life into, yet we cling on to the things of old? Where is some of it that we're scared? But I think the bigger question is, is, is there certain things that we're clinging on to that God is trying to steer us in a new direction and saying, don't be led astray by that anymore. I'm in a new place now. I'm doing something a little different. Not vastly, but it's time for you to understand a new part of me. And I think that's where it's hard because we like holding on to what we know. So the question I have for you this week is, where do we need to let go? Where do we need to let go? And when I say that it can be personally It can be as a community, as a church community, as a nation, as a world, however you want to define that. I think there are things that we need to be able to reconsider and realize that whatever our assumptions are, we have to realize that God is still the one in control, no matter how difficult that is, and that we're trying to pursue where God is steering us to go. Being okay with God saying, this isn't exactly the way that you imagined it and I want it to be like this. And being okay with that. Being satisfied with that. But also being recognizing where God's saying, I want you to go here and it's going to be something and I want you to understand how amazing this could be. We like carrying baggage. We like holding on to things and we have to be okay with letting go. And that's one of the difficult things at times is that recognition of letting go. We let go of the passenger pigeon, but we learn so much about how to look into conservation, things to start looking at and understanding forest dynamics. And in certain ways, they were putting a huge burden on forest dynamics and how that's helped in the long run. Looking at how a simple idea of a bird census and a small protest against gun hunting has turned into the biggest civilian science project on the face of the planet and how that has modified and changed drastically how we look at doing research and looking at migration and all these different things because of a simple idea. We don't recognize always in the moment how simple ideas can modify and change the whole world. But we have to be okay and excited about the potential of what God is doing if God is steering us in a new direction. Because we don't know, because we're not God on what the small ideas are that God's working on and what are the small ideas that God has. No, this is a big idea. And that's the exciting thing. That's why we pursue and learn more about God to understand and better understand the character of who God is. So we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.